with space. And there goes Tyree McCants. Inside the five and in. What a touchdown. And he can pick him up and put him down as he drags the UCF defender into the end zone. Timmy McClain, the talented freshman. A year ago, he was leading Seminole High School to a state championship. Tonight, he gets the nod. Starting quarterback for the Bulls. McClain stepping up, firing over the middle. It's caught for the touchdown. Let's do it. Let's get back into it here on this Friday as we record this one. Uh, granted, our interview will be recorded last night. So there you go. A little break in the fourth wall type action here on the Fletcher and Fellow podcast. I'm your host, Will Turner. And we have officially posted back-to-back podcasts on back-to-back day for the first time in our history. So who the hell are we? We, we really don't know, but... Uh, yeah, getting you ready for USF and Temple. If you missed yesterday's podcast where we talked conference realignment and the six schools that the American Athletic Conference added, uh, you could check out that podcast yesterday with the Tampa Bay Times' Matt Baker. So uh, we talked plenty about conference realignment yesterday. We'll talk about it a little bit in this episode today as we get ready for uh, Saturday's game at Raymond James Stadium as the Temple Owls, which are now welcomed by two fellow Owls in the form of Rice and Florida Atlantic, but that's still two years away. But USF will will face uh, the longest Owl member of the American Athletic Conference, so to speak, uh, this weekend, and uh, it's a big game. It's a big game. It's I think it's a must-win, uh, you know, as much as these must-win games can be. USF's streak of losses against FBS competition has reached 17 games in nearly two years, as that is now just four days away as uh, we record this on October 22nd. That win over East Carolina two years ago is just four days away. So uh, this is going to be a big one here. Temple's won three straight in the series, including a heartbreaker last year, 39-37 in Philadelphia. Uh, Noah Johnson tried to get that two-point conversion on a questionable uh, two-point conversion call. I think it was the short side of the field. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, that was a chance for USF to really get a, their their first win uh, against FBS and against American Conference competition last year. Um, obviously, Memphis a few weeks later was, was a big piece. But USF was Temple's only win last year. Uh, the Owls were 1-6 and six aside from that. And to that point, it was only their second game of the year. Uh, and we'll talk to our guests a little bit about that. So going to keep this intro short because it will be a longer uh, interview portion today here on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. I think similar to our, our, our BYU preview when we started, uh, but we've got a, a, another uh, great guest here today uh, as we take you through this one. Before we go ahead and introduce our guest, if this is your first time listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, we do appreciate you making your way over and checking us out. Uh, We're on all the major podcast distributors between Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the Google Podcasts app, so make sure to check us out over there if you are listening on the megaphone.fm browser, but 
be uh, be sure to check us out on those on those four. And if you like the content, you like what you're hearing, and you want to support what we're doing over here at Bulls Twenty Four Seven and the Fletcher and Fowler Podcast, uh, we greatly appreciate any feedback you have. My personal Twitter is at wturner Twenty Four Seven. We've already got some pretty good feedback, I think, from from some folks that have listened. So we do appreciate that. Our um, post Tulsa was was the highest. Uh, listened and download podcasts so far so do appreciate that early on uh do appreciate y'all just kind of listening to me talk for an hour after that game so do appreciate that and then of course uh if you are feeling a little bit more generous and you are feeling giving us uh some sort of rating we hope it's a five-star rating uh for what you hear on the fletcher and fowler podcasts i already dragged through all the promotions for bulls 247com during the last episode so i'm not going to do it as much today uh, but we have dropped some, you know, some pretty good scoop over the last uh, few weeks between on-campus stadium news and, and some things like that. So uh, we, of course, have our first month for a dollar deal over there, and that's all I'm going to say about it. So you don't have to sit through another minute and a half of that uh, corporate broadcasting spiel. So um, let's get into it. We have today, I teased it a little bit on uh, the podcast earlier in the week, uh, we have Ryan Wallen from Al's Daily our Temple 24-7 site works alongside a good friend of mine and Sean Pastor. I've known Ryan pretty much since I jumped on the network back in 2019, and he's always been someone that's been, uh, you know, someone great to work with whenever Temple Week comes around. Obviously, they're kind of in a similar situation with USF or, or with Temple that, you know, I am with USF, which is a team that hasn't won a whole lot of games recently. So, um, but they are good people over there, and I enjoy talking to Ryan, I enjoy talking to Sean. We're gonna get some lunch before the game tomorrow on Saturday, and and uh, and and it'll be great. So uh, we we definitely talk about the Temple USF game, but we had to talk some conference realignment, as you might have expected. Temple's in an interesting situation, um, obviously with their roots as a basketball school. Uh, you know, how does this all fit football-wise, right? How does this all fit for, for Temple, especially for basketball, now forcing Temple to, um, you know, fly from Philadelphia to now four schools in Texas for certain, uh, you know, years? Who knows? You might get a, a string of games, and it, it, it would be surprising if the conference did this, but, you know, uh, travel out to UTSA and uh, North Texas and uh, schools like that, uh, from Philadelphia on a weekday is not necessarily the most feasible. So, um, you know, when, when Mike Oresco told everybody yesterday that they had more geographic concentration within the conference, um, Temple fans kind of scratched their head as if to say, uh, what do you mean? Uh, we're kind of, hey, over here, you know, in the closest school uh, in the non-football sports is, is still East Carolina. Because remember, Navy's in the Patriot League for a lot of these. So, you know, uh, Temple's kind of on an island, so to speak, out there, which, you know, it's kind of interesting. But we'll get some perspective from Ryan on that and kind of go uh, and see what the Temple fans are thinking. So, again, uh, it is going to be a long interview section, but we'll, uh, we'll it'll be a good one. So make sure you, you listen all the way through. And uh, we'll be joined shortly here by Ryan Wallen from Al's Daily Talking Temple and USF, as well as some conference realignment. And joining us now on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast is Ryan Wallen from our Owls Daily 24-7 site. Ryan, thanks for hopping on the podcast with me. 
Of course, Will. It's a pleasure to be joined. Uh, I would be joined by you and hop on with you, and let's talk some uh, Temple USF and American football. Yeah, it's been a busy day for those that, you know, uh, listen to the, the podcast we dropped uh, earlier in the day. We're recording on Thursday. This podcast is going to go out Friday, but we released podcast Thursday about American Athletic Conference expansion. We'll get into that. Uh, six new teams are, are in the conference. Uh, Ryan's got some opinions, just like everybody else has got some opinions, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, the task at hand and kind of what everybody seems to have forgotten about considering today's news is there is a, a football game to be played on, on Saturday as uh, USF welcomes Temple to Raymond James Stadium for a 7 o'clock kickoff uh, on ESPN+. Plus. And I don't know if you, you saw this, uh, Brandon Whedon, of all people, the former Oklahoma State quarterback, is going to be on the call this weekend in Tampa. Oh, what an interesting take. I did not see that, but um, I, I didn't even know he was commentating now. I guess that's what uh, washed-up quarterbacks do after they leave the Cleveland Browns is, uh, and the Dallas Cowboys, right? He played for the Cowboys. I think so. I believe, so. Yeah, I, I did not even know he was working for ESPN, but good for him. I'm glad he found a way to harness his talents in some way. No knock on Brandon Whedon. Hey, he played college football. I can't say that. I did that, but you know that'll that'll be an interesting call. Get to get to see what he's like as a commentator when I watch the game back. You know, after uh, after watching it live, when it'll uh, make film review. It'll make film review fun. Maybe he'll talk about just uh, how how his career went at Oklahoma State the whole game. Because <laughs> ironically enough, USF fans, uh, of course, Glenn Spence, defensive coordinator Glenn Spence, was at Oklahoma State for for a while. I don't know if Brandon was there while while Glenn was there, but. A uh, little bit of an Oklahoma State connection, weirdly, <laughs> some point in there. But um, the Bulls and Owls will meet for the eighth time all-time. Temple leads the series five games to two. USF leads two to one in Tampa. These two teams battled to uh, a 39-37 game last year. Uh, what a roller coaster in Philadelphia. It was a one game a year that I didn't go to last year, which I, you know, in hindsight, I was like, man, they're going to be up. And they nearly ended up winning that game. Um, what I remember about that game was they go up fairly early and kind of hold on to the lead for a little bit. And then USF does USF things and they, and they end up blowing a lead similar to how that last game in 2018 went back in Philadelphia. Um, Brian, just what do you remember about that game uh, last year up in uh, Philadelphia? Yeah, you know, that was that was a game where, again, I unfortunately did not get to cover it because uh, the restrictions in Philly at the time was mm. only one media member per outlet. And my, my editor had went to that game. So I was taken in the game from Field of Screams in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on my phone while I could. Um, some Halloween activities in there. So... Um, but I do remember, you know, Temple went up early. They looked really good on the first couple drives of the game, and then they just kind of fell off the fell off the wagon. They just couldn't get any rhythm going. And USF jumped that ahead, and it looked like Temple was going to lose that game. And that was a game that, you know, Temple was expected to to win, especially after coming off of a, an eight and five season the season before. And it was and, only and, their and, second game of the season to that point. And it was. And, you know, that was that was the thing with COVID, unfortunately, was, you know, Temple 
had its whole non-conference wiped out and then their first practice kept getting pushed back and they didn't actually get to practice as a team until September, mid-September due to city restrictions in Philadelphia. So, you know, it was just a very weird and unfortunate series of events that pushed their start date back so far. And, you know, that it you could see that they were not ready um, for that level of competition yet, even early in the year. But, you know, then they score, I believe it was 17 in the fourth quarter to pull out the win. Um, Anthony Russo, you know, led, led the way there for Temple. And uh, it, it was a good win at the time for Temple, but then the rest of the season came and you just saw how the Owls fell apart after that game. And, you know, you can't really say that they played well against USF, but that was probably the game they played best in all year. Yeah, USF had a chance to uh, to tie that game late. Uh, Temple ended up going up uh, 39-31 with 428 left. Leo Parker ends up getting a one-yard touchdown rush. And then this is the first – I think this was the first real call that we were that we were debating about with Jeff Scott and kind of the decision-making. They go for a, a two-point conversion with Noah Johnson that ends up failing – Jordan McLeod ended up playing most of the game, but Noah Johnson comes in for that two-point conversion, and I think we, we 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 had quite the question of why 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 was the play? I think it it was a if I remember right, it was a direct snap or well the a snap to the quarterback, but uh, a, a rush to the to the left side of the field, which was the short side of the field, and uh, USF doesn't get it because because Temple ends up uh, stopping it, but. Yeah, that that was a that was a weird that was a weird game because yeah, it was Temple's second game of the year. Uh, it was kind of chilly um, that game. What do you remember uh, just about that USF team uh, last year? You know, I remember Jordan McLeod uh, most mostly. You know, he he's was a good quarterback that had that dual threat ability that Temple has had historically problems in defending. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a mobile guy in that game. I I know that. Not all the time he looked the greatest in a USF uniform, but in that game, he looked like he actually had the ability to throw accurate balls. And, you know, I believe they took the top off Temple a couple times in that game for some long touchdowns. And, you know, they, they established a run and McLeod was running well. And, you know, it, it was just a cohesive USF offense, it looked like, for most of that game. And, you know, unfortunately for the Bulls, they haven't had that really – in the last year and a half since or the, or the last calendar year since. Um, so I, I worry then going into this week, you know, cause again, Timmy McLean is a dual threat type quarterback and he's really the first dual threat temples going to face this year. And I, I'm a little worried about how temple's going to handle that considering they haven't seen it in quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Jordan McLeod was fifteen to twenty-six for a buck eighty-two and three touchdowns in that game. It was one of his better performances in a USF uniform for sure. Johnny Ford, the the infamous Johnny Ford, that's now Florida Atlantic, uh, fifteen carries, seventy-two rushes in that or seventy-two yards in that game. Uh, five catches for fifty-four yards out of the backfield and a touchdown. Uh, Omarion Dollison, who's like the only receiver from the box score that I'm looking out outside of Latrell Williams. It's still like on the roster. Um, and then I look on the other side and, and, and Anthony Russo was 30 of 42 for 270 with four touchdowns, two interceptions in that game. 
Um, Anthony Russo is no longer in a Temple Owl uniform. Uh, not, neither is uh, Todd Santeo, who folks thought would be the next in line. Now it's, it's Dewan Mathis. It's Justin Lynch. Um, looks like it, it, it's been um, Dewan Mathis's job to lose, if I'm, if I'm kind of in the right ballpark here. It looks like there's been kind of maybe a little bit of a quarterback competition of sorts. Uh, what's, what have you seen it, it, from that position so far? Yeah, so Mathis, um, for, former four-star recruit, transferred from Georgia this past offseason, got in uh, last winter, actually, and he actually had won the job outright even in spring ball. Um, he looked that good right off the bat for Temple and, and Rod Car- head coach Rod Carey's eyes. Um, he started the season opener against Rutgers, and unfortunately, he got hurt on what he says was the third play of the game when he got sacked for the safety on that uh, opening drive for the Owls. Um, he injured his foot and he ended up playing into the third quarter, but then he got planted on, planted down into the ground by uh, a former Allen, Efine Maje. Um, and he kind of got stepped on there and it, it really tweaked his foot. So then he ended up missing the next two games against Akron and Boston College. So Justin Lynch started those two games and, you know, that was a tale of two games. Um, Lynch looked good in his first start against Akron, but, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt because Akron has one of the possibly one of the worst defenses in FBS. Yeah. So I, I feel like a true freshman could look pretty good against their defense. Um, and he did, but then against Boston College, it was a whole different story. You know, he just looked very, very much like a freshman quarterback and like he was not ready for that level of competition to be going up against a power five school um, in his start there. But Mathis did get back. He started against Wagner, looked really good against Wagner, and then he looked very good against Memphis as well. Um, He had a clean pocket against Memphis, and that's partially the reason why Temple was able to pull off that upset win against the Tigers in a game not many people honestly expected Temple to even be competing in, let alone pulling out a win. Right. USF's last two opponents, actually, you know, Temple and Tulsa, uh, have had wins over over Memphis and a, a team that's kind of slumping lost three straight uh, between those two games and and uh, Temple ends up winning that game 34-31 and then on a short week on a Friday night they play the number five team in the country and and don't play well what do you see uh, you know contrasting those two weeks between the Memphis win and the Cincinnati loss obviously two very different type of opponents, you know, not just in terms of offensive scheme, but just in talent level, considering that Cincinnati is now the number two team in the country. Um, just what do you see contra- comparing and contrasting those, those two performances? Yeah, well, with Memphis, I think you expect them to be good because they've been good in years past, but people forget they also have a true freshman quarterback. And yep. he, he did not look the best in that game against Temple, I think just the way Temple dis- disguised some of its blitz packages and its defense. Um, you know, they, they, Hennigan was a little shaken up. Uh, he didn't know what to do with the ball and he just was not making some accurate throws. Um, but, you know, that he still put up numbers, pretty decent numbers against Temple and Calvin Austin, who's arguably the best receiver in the conference, let alone one of the best in the country, still yeah. put up decent numbers against Temple, but it was about limiting them in that game. Against Cincinnati, on the other hand, you know, I think you just saw the talent gap that exists between Cincinnati right now and the rest of the conference. And I think we, that was validated 
this past week when, you know, Cincinnati took uh, UCF to the woodshed as well. And I know Bulls fans, I'm sure, were happy to see that. But it was a loud when that score popped up on a jumbotron during the Tulsa game. That was the loudest cheer of the day. <laughs> like the five thousand fans in the stands. <laughs> Hey, you didn't need to go there. I mean, <laughs> hey, Temple's, Temple's not much better there. But, um, you know, I, I think you saw that that was – it's just a gap that exists right now and just how well Luke Fickle has built that program yeah. up after the, you know, the Tommy Tuberville experiment that was there. And, you know, that, that was – At least he's that doing was well a in – At least he's doing well in what, Alabama? <laughs> yeah, as a state senator. But, yeah, um. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing was just that Mathis in that game, he was being rushed all night, and he was running for his life. The offensive line played terrible. Temple abandoned the run far too early. And then they shot themselves in the foot a couple times with some costly punt of muffed punts. They had two muffed punts in the game, um, one from Jaden Blue, who's normally a sure thing back there to, to be a, a ball secure as he's their – top receiver usually um and then they put Ahmad Anderson in there to field it after blue muffed that one and then in the third quarter he muffed one right off the bat and that that was pretty much the special teams debacle for the Owls um the highlight of the game obviously was Temple's kicker hitting a 55 yard field goal which by far was a career long but other than that, it was it was a very drab game for the Owls. They could not do anything offensively. They could not stop the run. Um, you know, Jerome Ford looked outstanding for Cincinnati as as he did this past week against the Knights and running for four touchdowns in his way to American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. So, you know, it, it was just it was just a good old fashioned beatdown. And you know, I'm I'm happy to admit that yeah, Cincinnati's just that good. Yeah, and their well, defense is legit, like like their fans are claiming it is. So I'm I'm hoping they get the chance to actually be in the playoff this year, just so you know it looks good for the American as they're on their way out. But <laughs> I, I really am hoping we get to see a Georgia Cincinnati round two from last yeah. year's uh, bowl matchup. Yeah, for sure, and and hopefully in a in a CFP championship game, if those two teams stay one and two, USF will, will see Cincinnati here, uh, in two and three weeks, excuse me, after a bout with East Carolina on the road and Houston uh, at home, and then Cincinnati around the home slate. Um, when uh, you know, Jane Blue was the guy you mentioned, and one that was I was going to ask about. Uh, he in that game in Philadelphia had had nine catches, sixty yards. And in the game before that, he led Temple 11 catches for 121 yards. He's been a guy that that has really performed well against USF whenever he plays them. Um, what's kind of been uh, – how have you seen him develop and in, in, in the player that he's turned into? Because he, he really has turned into a, a true leader for, for, for Temple. Yeah, he has. And I, I think you've seen that not only because he is temp, one of Temple's single-digit bearers, uh, acknowledging one of the leaders and one of the toughest guys on the team, but – you just see that he he's a guy that loves football and he takes it personally and he, he just loves the game and he's appreciative that he has this chance because not many people know this. He's been very open about it, but people outside of the Temple market not might not know this, that he was actually not on the team after Jeff Collins um, had departed or oh, right before I... Jeff Collins had yeah. departed. Um, yeah. He actually I I had left something the... about that. 
Yeah, he had actually left the team. Um, and then when Rod Carey was hired, he actually was welcomed back. He asked Rod to rejoin the team. Rod welcomed him back. And, you know, since then, that change in leadership, he's become arguably one of the best receivers in program history, uh, just numbers-wise. Um, he's, he's, I believe, sixth all-time right now in receiving yards or sixth player all-time to go over the 1,600-yard mark. And I believe he needs six more receptions this week to become or tie himself for second all-time in career receptions for the Owls. So uh, just a guy that's really turned into a playmaker for them, a reliable guy. And we saw that. Um, against Memphis, he made that miraculous one-handed catch in the end zone on fourth down uh, that got Temple on the board in that game after trailing 17 nothing. So he's just a guy that's a playmaker, and the Owls will use him quite a bit. Um, this year, it's kind of changed how they're using him. Normally, he's out of the slot, but this year they've kind of been using him in those jet sweep type plays where they use these push passes and they try to get it to him and that way he's getting a running start and he, he can maybe beat a guy to the edge if the receiver holds his blocks. But, you know, I don't know if it's worked out as well for them because his numbers are down this year. And I would like to see them actually, you know, throw to him more downfield, um, especially these past couple of weeks when Randall Jones wasn't in the games. I was hoping they would use Blue more, but unfortunately they didn't. Possibly the reason they got hammered by Cincinnati, but I can't say that that was the sole reason because I don't know if it would have made much of a difference because, you know, like like I said, Cincinnati's defense is just that good. But, you know, Blue, again, he's just a guy that loves football and, and he's due for a breakout game because he really hasn't had a breakout game yet this year. And I think you see that when he's, I think, third or fourth right now on the team in receiving yards. I think it's fourth. Um, behind Jones, Barbone, and Ahmad Anderson. Yeah, and like I said, he's played well against USF the last two years. That that you know he, he he's faced them. So absolutely, somebody that could that could be a guy to break out. Uh, we talk about Temple tough all the time, and talk about the tough guys and in, in the numbers, uh, in the single digit numbers. Uh, something I noticed this year with uh with what uh sean pastor who's the al's daily uh editor uh that, that ryan was referring to sean wrote an article towards the beginning of the season about uh temple didn't add any any new numbers and new single digit numbers to that to that esteemed group and uh, i think i remember him posting on twitter something to the effect of does this temple not have any more tough guys or anything like that or something like that and so i asked jeff scott about it and uh, he was like, I, I never even really paid attention to, to, to that or anything like that, which I, you know, it's Temple's one of their main traditions. But uh, outside of the four guys that had it last year with Randall Jones, wide receiver, safety Amir Tyler, linebacker William Quenku, and, and Jaden Blue, it's, it's those four guys, and it's the same four guys as last year. Uh, why, you know, from your perspective, why did did Rod Carey not elect to to add four or add anybody to that to that group of players this year? Well, so I think there's two main reasons for it. One, um, Rod has said it's not his decision. He doesn't mm -hmm. choose those single digits. He said it is up to the senior leadership council, and they hold votes periodically throughout the year. They do one before the season, um, leading up to the uh, first week of the season. 
And then they'll do some throughout the year if the senior leadership council feels it is deemed necessary. And uh, I believe he was asked about it actually after the Cincinnati game or during the bye week. And he said, you know, they haven't heard anything about doing another vote here. And he said he didn't feel like after that Cincinnati game that really anybody should be getting a single digit at that point. Um, maybe I guess if they would have had that vote after the or the Memphis game, maybe things would have been different. But I think that's part of the reason is because I guess maybe nobody on the team feels that anybody is deserving of one right now. And I think the other thing is just because of the youth of Temple's team and the turnover that they've had on the roster, you know, they're playing a lot of really young guys, um, guys that are redshirt freshmen or COVID freshmen. And they're seeing a lot of the playing time compared to some of these older guys or more veteran guys within the program. But, you know, I, I expect those guys not to be probably sticking around much longer, just similar to how some of these other guys have now are using the transfer portal to go find places where they can see yeah. playing time right away. So I, I feel like maybe just because of that inexperience and that, that youngness factor to the team that they don't have another single digit right now, I could see that changing in the coming weeks, depending on how the Owls play the, towards the second half of the season. Um, I personally think there are a couple guys that are worthy of it. Um, MJ Griffin's a safety, uh, redshirt freshman safety out of Michigan. Um, I, I believe he's he's one of the guys that I'd be looking at for a single digit because he's proven that he is a, a defensive leader. He's a guy who can step up to the moment, and he I think that's shown because he's second on the team right now in tackles. And at the start of the year, he wasn't even considered a starter. And this week he's going to get that chance because Amir Tyler is going to be out this week um, mm -hmm. due to in, uh, having surgery this past week. So MJ Griffin's going to step in up into that senior uh, boundary safety spot, and he's going to have that opportunity to be the defensive leader. Who else defensively do you see? Jeff Scott said this week that they're, you know, Temple's brought in a, a lot of transfers on on that side of the ball. I know uh, Nick Bags is, has recently hit the transfer portal. He's one actually that a lot of the USF staff just ended up following this week on uh, on social media. It could be a guy that 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 ends up on the other side of this matchup down the line but you know uh when you look at temple's defense who who could stand out on uh on saturday and and who can make some plays i think the ones that you have to look at are the cornerbacks um Keyshawn paul out of yukon and cameron ruiz from northwestern um that's part of the reason why temple has had such a good pass defense this year short people are going to say that temple hasn't played very well good passing teams so far but when they even played Memphis, Ruiz was running right with Calvin Austin on balls down the field. And you don't see many guys that can keep up with Calvin Austin. And he did a really good job in that game. Keyshawn Paul forced a fumble in that game. He's excellent on coming off the edge and stopping the run. He's excellent tackler. He's a guy that's going to be a surefire hitter. And, you know, normally you don't think of guys coming out of UConn as being, you know, pretty good football players considering how <laughs> things have gone for them. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that, you know, Temple, I think they found a diamond in the rough there, and he's got potential to, you know, maybe make it to the next level. Ruiz, he just looks like he's a solid cornerback who can run with almost anybody. He's got good ball skills. Um, so I think those two are the guys that have made the most impact so far. Um, 
I think you can look at Manny Walker at the defensive end position, who's a guy who came in not this past year, but the year before. And he's really stepped up this year to be that that senior defense or that leader on the defensive line group. Um, mm -hmm. He leads the team in interceptions, oddly enough, right now, even though he's a defensive end. Uh, he's had two gifted to him by quarterbacks <laughs> this year. But um, yeah, we, also, we love when we love when big guys get the football yeah, and start running, man. That's big, that's, that's big guy touchdown against Akron. That the place went <laughs> wild. He said that was his first touchdown since middle school, I think, when he was playing tight end too. He was ex he was ecstatic about it, and then I think he had one against Wagner too. That the Wagner quarterback just tripped him up, or else he would have had a second touchdown, <laughs> and he was mad about it. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, he's a guy that, you know, came out of Wake Forest, didn't play a whole lot due to injuries and just falling behind some guys at the P5 level. But he, he's come in and he's proven to be a solid player, but the Owls have had some struggles elsewhere along the D-line that have really allowed teams to contain Walker. So looking forward to that, hopefully changing with more experience and all along that D-line. But like I said, they're just playing a lot of really young guys right now on that defensive front, especially that that's showing yeah let's let's get in the switch gears and kind of uh move into conference realignment today uh obviously the the big news uh kind of dominating our lives right now <laughs> um, uh the american athletic conference uh adds adds six new schools uab florida atlantic charlotte north texas rice and utsa and um outside of charlotte all those schools are pretty far from Philadelphia, all things considering, with three in Texas, uh, one in uh, another, a second in Florida that's far, way farther south than both USF and UCF. Um, and then, you know, it's, Birmingham isn't really a hop, skip, and a jump away from, from, from eastern Pennsylvania. Um, from the Temple perspective, just kind of maybe what you've heard from, from some of the people that you've talked with, uh, what's what's the vibe that you've gotten from from Temple, uh, you know, maybe higher ups or something like that about the the schools that were added? Yeah, and I think the interesting thing here is that last week actually Temple hired its new athletic director Arthur Johnson, and he actually went on the record during his interview, his introductory interview, and he had said, you know, geographic alignment is important to conferences, and you know. University President Jason Wingard had backed that up and also agreed that, you know, they want to be in a conference where geography is suitable for them for travel purposes and yeah. whatnot. So it doesn't make sense in that regard. And people, especially the fan base, is not a fan of this move because of that, having especially for basketball it's going to be a pain to try and attend games in Texas four times a year. Um, if they have those home and homes and whatnot, or if they have to go on the road to Texas four times a year and it's pulling these kids out of the classroom. And we have to remember that they are students first before they are athletes. Yeah. So I think in that regard, it's, it's a struggle, but I think with the aspect of division play being reinstituted back in, I don't think it's going to be that much of an inconvenience for the Owls more so than what it is now because you figure you're going to have seven teams in each division. You're going to play your own division, six teams there, and you're going to play two of your other division every year. So I assume you get one and one home and away. So you might only yeah. be going to 
these places once every five, six years. So can't really say it's that much of a inconvenience with division play, but maybe for the teams that aren't going to have division play, it's going to be more of an inconvenience. But looking at the overall slate, I thought UAB was a no-brainer. I think they've yep. more than proven themselves in Conference USA, and especially after what a story, you know, them cutting football a couple years back and now bringing it back, seeing the success they did in Conference USA, and now they're jumping up to the American. I thought they were great. Alabama's a football-crazy city or state. Uh, Birmingham's a hot spot for football. So I, I think that's a great it's a ad growing, for them. It's a growing metro area, too. It is. And I think that was a great ad for them. Charlotte, I also thought was a pretty decent ad. I know some people are not set on them yet, but they've proven that they're a team or an athletic department that's willing to invest in their athletics. And, you know, I think they have a really good football coach right now. They're starting to turn the corner. You know, they picked up a big win against Duke earlier this year. So what a win for them. Temple's actually, oddly enough, they're the only team Temple has played of these new additions to the conference. Uh, they had a home-and-home home series a couple years back during the Matt Rule era um, and beat them both times. But that was – that, that, that era seems so damn long ago. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> But, you know, it'll be good to have Charlotte. I, I thought Charlotte obviously is a booming metro area in itself yeah. right now. I, I think Charlotte adds some dynamic there. It gives you ECU a rivalry there so they don't have to travel that far. And it gives them a, even a battle, you know, for recruiting there now. So I think that'll be a good addition. And UTSA, obviously, with the success they're having this season – San Antonio being, again, a booming metro area, I, I feel like they were a good addition for the football aspect, maybe not so much on the basketball end. But um, the two puzzlers to me was Rice and FAU, actually, oddly enough, the really? two other Owls. I could see Rice. I'm surprised you say that about FAU, though. Yeah, I, I just – FAU is a school that I feel is not as convenient to travel to as the others. Sure. As far as um, I feel like they're just a, a school that has not had the amount of athletic success that some of the others have. Okay. They've kind of always just been okay at everything. They haven't been great. I mean, I guess you could argue maybe the Lane Kiffin era at yeah. FAU was their best years. But since then, they've, again, taken a step back. Um, they've just been very mediocre. And I didn't feel like they fit the bill opposed to – say holding off maybe not inviting all six teams um or you're gonna, pit, you're gonna going piss off them. you're gonna piss off all the FAU fans man because they are they're like ruthless like I've seen I are, I don't know man <laughs> well I'm hoping they come up with a, a series between all the schools that are owl mascots now that all the owl mascots are in division one are going to be in one oh conference. So God, yeah. I'm hoping we're going to get a parliament cup or something. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. But the, um, the, the owl mander in chief trophy, anyone? <laughs> there we go. I love it. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I didn't know. I didn't think FAU was the great ad and rice. I didn't think was a great ad because I feel like, yes, they're a very, well-off school but they have not ever and really invested in their athletic department mm -hmm. so unless there is some sort of agreement that's already in place that we don't know about yet that they are going to invest more I was a little confused about that even though you know they're in the Houston market and a couple miles away from Houston they're just they've never been the quality that they are 
of the Houston Cougars, but I do get it if they are looking at them as a non-football basketball school. I mean, they're excellent at baseball. Give some competition to the baseball, you know, division in the American. So I could see it from that regard, but baseball is not the one driving the wagon right now. Right. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Yeah. I'm still shocked that you say that about Florida. I mean, like, they're going to, they're, they're, they're not, they're not going to be happy with you, man. They, Jesus, they, um, they were so just ecstatic to be a part of this. Um, somebody told well, me sure. the other they're day that some, yeah, get away from I, FIU. I, I mean, somebody told me that like FAU is going to be the next UCF, which I don't really know if I buy into that yet. I mean, they've had some success. Um, obviously, Lane Kiffin kind of used it as a stepping stone to 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 Ole Miss. Uh, Charlie Weiss Jr. used it as a stepping stone to USF. Glenn Spencer, I wouldn't call it a stepping stone since he's been around college football for a while, but he, you know, ended up from from uh, Florida Atlantic to USF. So, I mean, they've had success, but I'm surprised. I'm surprised you say that because down here, it seems like it was a little bit more of a, um, you know, not surprised. But um, I get it. I get it for the purpose of them wanting to keep a second Florida school because they sure. were the they were the next best. Florida school because it was either them or FIU and I mean FIU FIU's been worse than USF which is which is something else but yeah so do I mean do Temple fans do Temple fans feel because this is something that USF fans have been talking about USF feels like they're going back to that that this is a conference USA 2.0 they feel that they're they're taking a step back the Temple fans kind of feel I know they're a little upset with maybe the geographical part of it but do they feel they're taking a step back um, towards like a conference USA 2.0? Oh, I wish I could just explain the message boards to you right now on owlsdaily.com. <laughs> um, no, they, they do feel like this is, like you said, another conference USA. They feel like the American was, you know, possibly their avenue to being – being a candidate for an expansion at some point for one of the power fives, even though I, I never thought their path to the ACC was realistic. Mm. Um, I never thought that the big 10 is going to take them. So I assumed you were hoping the big 12 at some point would extend an invite. Um, but again, I think the big 12 has what it wants in its market area. And that's always been in the Midwest and, down into Texas and all. And is the Big 12 really a geographic fit for Temple either? I don't necessarily believe so because they're your... Is it a geographical fit for for UCF? (laughs) Yeah, and that's what I mean. I don't think it's about geographics at that point. So it's kind of contradictory and hypocritical to say that you won in the Big 12, but you also don't want in Conference USA 2.0. So that's just my point. But I think where Temple fans are upset is the basketball aspect because Temple has historically been a basketball school. It's only been since the Al Golden era of 2009, you know, that Temple has really become a football-driven school more so than basketball because, let's face it, they've seen more success on the football field than they have on the basketball court. Um, they have, I believe what, two, two or three basketball titles in the last 10 years. And they've, but they're very mediocre. They've been to the tournament, I think 
two or three times in the last 10 years. Last, yeah. And in last few years, you know, bowing out the first round to, to USF. Yeah. You know, yes. it, for and sure. it, it's just, they don't feel like this is driving the basketball attendance up. That's not going to make kids want to come play against mm-hmm. teams like UTSA and FAU and Rice and all these teams that are just not good at basketball, even though they might have some success in football nobody's going to want to come to these games and kids aren't going to want to come play for Temple, which yeah. used to be thought of as Philadelphia's basketball university. But, you know, that that's now even that narrative shift to Villanova, even though they're not even in the city. So, you know, right. and th- I think that. And it's not in, in a game against you in, in playing UTSA and playing, you know, North Texas and, and those schools is not going to help you beat Villanova. Exactly. Because and of how well that Villanova is. Granted, you know, the, the, yeah, it, it's not going to help you beat a Villanova type of team, a, a top five team in the country because you went out and you, you beat UTSA by 40. Exactly. And I, I think that's where people are upset because people remember the days where Temple was competitive with Nova and they were winning big five championships within the city six and or in the big five in in the city and you know they're they're competing with Villanova but they just haven't since they left the A-10 and I think people just look back to the glory days and that's where we see all this talk of well Temple should go independent in football or Temple should look to get out of the American or they should just be a football only member in the American and go back to the A-10 in basketball or push for the Big East to invite them in for basketball. But Temple hasn't done enough for that right now, I don't think, in the last 10 years in basketball, that they deserve a Big East invite. I I think what you need to see is them to return to the glory. And I I think this is a good opportunity for them to do that because, yes, you're watering down the conference a little bit with the quality of opponents. But you can now be a big fish in a little pond and you can possibly start building a resume again of being a 20-win team every year consistently, getting to the tournament, possibly winning tournament games. That will attract the kids. That's what attracts the kids, in my opinion, is when you're winning and you're winning championships and you're in the tournament. And same yeah. goes for football. If you're in bowl games, you're winning, you're competing for conference titles. That's what brings in the recruit. So I think that it's a good opportunity for Temple because like I said, the talent gap right now between some of these teams at the top of the conference in both football and basketball, it's miles apart from where Temple is right now compared to say Cincy in football or Houston and Memphis in basketball. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and I mentioned that, you know, uh, and, and for those USF fans listening that, that didn't listen to the podcast uh, yesterday, uh, that's that's exactly that's exactly what we talked about on the football side with USF is is you know USF doesn't necessarily deserve to be in the conversations for Big Twelve for Big Ten for ACC because their house isn't in order and you've got to get your house in order to be able to to um, you know be in those conversations as 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 Matt Baker eloquently put yesterday. Um, Without a doubt, and I mean, I think I think with you, I think USF and Temple are in the same boat, uh, especially within football. You know, two schools kind of at the bottom of the conference, and not just in football, but but in basketball as well, in men's. 
um, you know, and, and, and it looks like Temple can make some noise on the women's side this year. Um, obviously, USF has had plenty of success on the women's side, uh, especially now that UConn's out of the conference. But for, for, for argument's sake, I mean, and this was another, you know, conversation we had, who else was, was the AAC going to get at this point, right? You know, if you're not getting Boise State, if you're not getting Colorado State, San Diego State, Air Force, you're not getting those four out of the Mountain West, which make less sense geographically than the five, than the six schools that were added yesterday. That you know, who 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 else are you going to get? I mean, I, I know a lot of folks said Appalachian State and Marshall, and you know maybe another Sun Belt school like a Louisiana Lafayette. But but in the grand scheme of things, who I don't know who folks expected the the, the conference to get. I agree. And I mean, Oklahoma is not walking through that door. (laughs) I agree. And I think when you look at the schools that they were considering, App State is a football school. I think just like UAB is a football school. UAB is more even out. But say North Texas. North Texas is primarily a football school. App State, I guess I could may see the argument that they are better than North Texas, but when they come to the other sports, do they really bring any, anything to the table? And they don't have the academic prestige compared to some of these other schools that they're bringing in. Um, same with a school like Coastal Carolina. They're a very young program that just moved up from FCS a couple years back. I don't think they are competitive in really anything else other than football right now. And, and I don't know how they up the ante of the conference compared to say a UTSA. And maybe mm-hmm. that was the thing. Maybe they're like the American was looking at it as Myrtle beach versus San Antonio. The market's bigger over there. They're essentially the same school right now in terms of football. They're both a team that's undefeated. They've seen success in recent years well, we're going to roll the App dice. State, well, App State made sure well, Coastal Carolina wasn't undefeated the yeah, other night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but close to being, they were undefeated coming yeah. into this week. So. so, in the grand scheme of things, I think they, they took what they wanted in terms of conference headquarters now being in Texas. Yep. That, that, took, I think that played a huge part into it. I did. That people and aren't realizing. I think the only school out of the ones that you mentioned that I would have liked to have seen possibly make jump ship from CUSA was Marshall. Mm. Um, I think that would have at least given Temple fans a little more peace of mind in having a closer opponent to travel to in the East Division opposed to UAB. And then you could have put UAB in the West Division. Um, and the history of behind Marshall's program, obviously most people know about, and they've been a consistently good basketball school. And that's why I was more confused as why Marshall wasn't invited. And their soccer, their women's soccer. Literally about to say their men's soccer team just won a national championship. So I I think in, in a conference that needed more men's soccer programs because they've only got six and it goes down to five when UCF leaves. Yeah. So I, I think, that was the one that I was really confused with, especially when there was talk of Marshall going to the Sun Belt, especially yeah. now after that CUSA is getting poached, it looks like they are on their way to the Sun Belt. Yeah, I think that elevates the Sun Belt. And I think at this point, 
the Sun Belt might be your next most consistent conference because the Mountain West has really fallen off. And Boise obviously knows something that we don't because they're hoping for the Big 12 invite in a couple years after Texas and Oklahoma jump ships. And after that happens, who knows what happens in the Mountain West? So, because they've been they've been the force driving everything in that conference, including their TV deal. Yep, yep, without a doubt. Um, getting back into Saturday as we as we begin to wrap up, uh, Temple has has uh, has won three straight in this matchup over over USF. You asked for my score prediction over uh, on your behind enemy lines article, which which I, I hope you don't mind me spoiling that now because there's a lot of other good stuff. Go read the article if you haven't read it. Um, I said USF was going to win 39-35, which is pretty similar to, to last year's score of 39-37 in Philadelphia. USF holding Pat as a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this matchup. S&P has Temple winning by a couple. Uh, I think ESPN FBI has USF winning uh, 70% chance or something of that nature. This is a game that USF fans know that with the remaining schedule of East Carolina, Houston, Cincinnati, Tulane, and UCF, this might be the last chance that USF has to get a, a win without or a win against an FBS opponent. Uh, the two-year anniversary is now, as we're recording this on Thursday, October 21st, is now five days away from their two-year anniversary of last being an FBS opponent against East Carolina. This is this is a big game for USF, but this is also a big game for Temple. They're three wins away from bowl eligibility at this point, at, sitting at three and three. How do you see this one going down in Tampa? What worries me is... Temple historically has never played well in Florida when they travel to Florida. They have not fared the best at Raymond James Stadium, with the exception being two years ago when they beat USF in a 17-7 to Yeah, game. and Quincy Roche went for like four and a half sacks. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember and, that. Game. And the yes, timeout now... debacle and yeah. – <laughs> Which fun, was... fun fact about that game. Fun, I, I, I hate to interrupt, but yeah, you're I, good. I, I, I was thinking about it. Uh, my, my girlfriend and I of, of seven years were, we weren't talking. We were in one of her off portions during that time. And I'll never forget, man. I got home after the game. It was like one o'clock in the morning and, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching a game back. Cause, cause Jordan McLeod ended up dropping back like 50 times, got sacked a whole bunch. I wanted to see what the timeouts were 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 called and whatnot because you know pat mcafee's on the on the call just just mocking <laughs> the crap out of charlie strong and um and i was and, and you know this this was before i really started to separate my fan and independent media uh lines um I'm I'm sitting there all in my fields. I'm uh, feels I'm upset about my girlfriend, and I and I'll never forget. I watched the whole game back like three and a half hours until like five thirty in the morning. Ended up calling my ex girlfriend, and we <laughs> within two months we got back together again. So thank you Temple football for that game. Thank you Quincy <laughs> Roche. I'm I'm gonna blame it all on that. Um, <laughs> but I just I, I remember that game two years ago in Tampa that you mentioned and, and I could not share that story because it was like it was just like weird how everything happened uh after that night 
Yeah, I was I was actually in Dallas that weekend with my ex girlfriend uh, during that week. So I was watching it from from a, a restaurant in Dallas, and then we went back to the hotel, and I was watching it on the screen before bed. But yeah, you know that was that was a that was a ugly ugly game, and th- that's been the theme of these games, especially for Temples and. They've been ugly games, always. And these are always seem to be night games when they travel down to Raymond James Stadium, which I'm not complaining about, but some fans don't like it. Um, but, you know, I, I see this game being whoever doesn't commit them or whoever commits the least amount of mistakes is going to win this game. Um, Temple has had done a good job of not committing mistakes after that Boston College game those two games after Wagner and Memphis. And then it seemed like they took a step back against Cincinnati. Um, Like I said, they shot themselves in the foot and, and it really cost them. And that's why the score ended up being run up so much on Cincinnati's end. I I think otherwise it might've been a, a maybe like a 38 to three game or, you know, you, you gift them two two free possessions essentially with the two muffed punts. And those were two free touchdowns. Um, but regardless, I think this is a game where you're going to see it be a little sloppy. Um, I could see this game being a game where there's going to be quite a handful of turnovers just because Mm -hmm. I I think USF coming off of last week's disappointing loss to Tulsa is going to be playing for something. And it worries me because Temple has not started a game quickly yet this season. They've been outscored, I think it's like 53, 57 to 7 so far in the first quarter this year, which is ridiculous. Um, They need to fix that this week, uh, especially against a team like USF, who's riding, like you said, a 17-game losing streak against FBS opposition. And, you know, this is the only team they've beat last year, and this was their lone win on the year last year during a COVID-stricken year or so. And they, they got taken down to the wire, and it came down, like you said, to a two point conversion that could have tied the game at the end. So I, I think they're going to take USF seriously. Um, even though it's a new quarterback that they're facing, it's a lot of new personnel in temple system. Um, I think there's enough of that senior leadership though, that knows that you can't just overlook opponents right now because any game in this conference we can see other than possibly Cincinnati is a winnable game right now. Yep. And temple's looking to go back bowling for the, you know, after last year's debacle, um, they've had a good run of being bowl eligible. And I, I know that's the goal this year. That was that was what one thing Amir Tyler said at the beginning of the year is as why did, he didn't enter the transfer portal was he wanted to help return Temple to its glory and at least be competitive in the conference again and get them back to be a bowl team and to win a bowl game, especially because they have not fared so well in bowl games, even though they've gotten there. So, I could see this game, you know, ended up being like a 30 – in the 30s for both teams. I could see it being a little lower scoring um, yeah. due to some mistakes, being just some defensive mishaps cause long touchdowns. Um, if you had to ask me for a score prediction, I would say right now I'm going to go Temple 34, USF 28. So we've got our first split decision on the Fletcher Fowler podcast. Typically it's been uniform, but we are, we are, we are, we are split here. Uh, and, uh, in and, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're split, but yeah, no, you mentioned, 
just, you know, kind of going a little bit more on, on Temple's eligibility after USF uh, comes UCF at home, which without Dylan Gabriel, the Knights are a completely different team at East Carolina uh, at home against Houston, which is a team I'm not still, I'm not sold on. I don't think I'm not either. Are. I agree. Um, at Tulsa, which, which Tulsa Golden Hurricane team is going to come out of the locker room and then Navy to finish off the year. And I think you could spot three games, even if Temple does lose to USF this week. I think you could spot three games between UCF, Tulsa, and Navy that are three winnable games on that schedule. For USF, you can't say the same thing right now. Maybe outside of that UCF game, if Dylan Gabriel is out on the war on I-4, because um, I think ECU is better than people are giving him credit for. I mean, that team should be 5-1 and one right now um with with narrowly losing to South Carolina narrowly losing to to uh to UCF uh we'll talk to Stephen Igo next uh next week uh a good friend of 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 all of us American content folks on the 24-7 network um but uh but yeah that that's where things are at right now with with the Temple Owls and, and the USF Bulls as they get ready for to clash on on Saturday and these games are always seemingly like the, the most like tense of the year. Like even back with both two teams were good. It was like always like the most like pivotal game of the year to that point. It was, they always came at like odd times in the season or it was like conference title on the line or conference yeah. title implications. Other than that, like 2017 game where USF absolutely throttled temple down in Raymond James. I, I think that they've all been fairly close and competitive and, they all just have big implications on them. So, and again, I, I think in a different sense, this game has big implications for no, both no. teams. You know, this would be a, a nice momentum grabbing win for USF to turn the corner and just say, you know, we broke that, that losing streak. We have some momentum now. We actually can compete again in the conference and Temple. It, it's, it's a chance to move one step closer to belt bowl eligibility and put last year behind them and, you know, prove that that might have just been a fluke year with all the the implications they had go or the factors going against them last year so uh, I think that like you said it's it's attainable for Temple to get bowl eligible even if they do lose this game but mm. you know I, I'd much rather have be one step closer to bowl eligibility right now with a win over USF than having to to try and beat UCF who Temple again has not fared well against in recent years um, have to play Houston and a Tulsa team that, you know, could be, could be really good one week and then really bad the next. So yeah. And, <laughs> really and maybe, good one quarter and really bad the next too. I yeah, mean, they're like and, a quarter to quarter team. And then you got Navy triple options, always tough to defend. And, you know, like Shoot, I said, with a lot of UCF. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of young guys on a defense probably haven't played against a triple option before. So that game worries me a bit. And like you mentioned, ECU's on the, on the uprise and they look like they're they're turning the corner finally under Mike Houston and they're putting that post Scott that Scotty Montgomery era behind them yeah Stephen I got I go might tell you something a little bit different about well, I, I know I, I talked to him and I talked to Bubba and Dave Richmond from the the sports objective podcast and you know that after that game against South Carolina and you know, even the game against Marshall and App State. Yeah, were, yeah I was going to say App State. Steve Brown texted back and forth. But, oh, that's you know, funny. They have some talent there, and I think that's shown. And, you know, I, I think their running back is probably the fastest guy in the country right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, 
Ryan, I appreciate you hopping on. You and both uh, both Ryan and Sean Passer will be down in Tampa. We're going to go to lunch. Uh, I, I have the um, esteemed decision of finding out where to go. Um, uh, you know, and these guys aren't helping me any because I asked him, I asked Ryan today, I was like, what, what kind of food are y'all looking for? And all I got was, well, no sushi. So, uh, so that, you know, you folks that live in Tampa know that that like limits it to like, 50% of places, you know, really, you know, Hey, we're used to cheap steaks and pretzels up here. In Florida. I mean, we like meat and bread. That, that's our, that's our forte up here in PA. But no, I I'm looking forward to getting down to Tampa. Like I've only been there once before and it was to St. Pete, oddly enough for Temple's Gasparilla Bowl in 2017 oh, yeah. uh, when they took on FIU. They don't even enough. have that this, game in St. Pete yeah. anymore. Yes, now it's at Raymond James. But, but yeah, you know, yep. oddly enough, I played the year after. Yes, but yes, um, I'm looking forward. Sadly, it's no longer the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> rest, rest in peace to the Bad Boy Mowers uh, sponsorship with that bowl game. But I mean, that thing has been called about eight different ways to Sunday <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> over the years. But uh, Ryan, I appreciate you hopping on again, man. How can uh, how can folks uh, follow you, support what you guys do with uh, with Alice Daily? Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Ryan Wallen two four seven. You can follow Sean at Temple Owls Daily, or you can follow the Owls Daily Twitter account at Owls Daily two four seven. And then if you want to visit our site, owlsdaily.com or temple two four seven sports.com. The best place to get Temple Owls coverage over at Owls Daily. Uh, Sean has been around for a while, and I know, Ryan, you've been around for, for quite a while as well now. Um, always terrific coverage of the Owls. So that was getting you ready for USF and Temple. We'll be right back on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast to wrap this one up. Thanks again, Ryan. Thanks, Will, for having me on. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. So there you have it. We appreciate Ryan for hopping on the Fletcher and Fowler podcast as we talked quite a bit about just about every topic under the sun. And and uh, you've got pretty much everything you need to know about the Temple Owls heading into Saturday's matchup. And, uh, you know, you get, at the same time, you got a, a, a beat and, and a feeling on the temperature of the Temple Owls fan base in regards to conference realignment. So it's really a unique situation like I mentioned uh, at the top. And uh, again, uh, greatly appreciate Ryan's insight for, uh, you know, just kind of uh, talking Temple with me and, and, and seeing. But yeah, it, it, it always, for some reason, USF and Temple always seems to come at a pivotal time. Whether the teams are bad, whether the teams are good, they the game always seems to come at like just this weird time of the season where both teams need a win. I mean, this is no different. Obviously, we talked quite a bit about it, so don't you know want to want to beat a, a dead horse, so to speak. But you know, but USF and Temple again set for kickoff tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Game will be broadcasted live on ESPN Plus. Uh, if you don't have ESPN Plus, uh, you can always listen on the radio on 95.3 FM WDAE. 
uh, or iHeartRadio, Bulls Unlimited. Uh, it'll be the regular crew, Jim Lauk, Joey Johnson, and Sam Barrington on the call over there with a pregame show two hours uh, prior to kip- kickoff. Uh, we, of course, will be in the house tomorrow uh, providing our normal coverage for, for game days as it's week uh, number eight across college football. It's going to be, a, again, it's a big week for USF. It's a major week for USF. So we'll see how this one goes and see if the Bulls can snap a an, an ugly losing streak uh, to FBS competition, and, uh, and, and we'll see what happens. But, again, if it was your first time listening to the Fletcher and Fowler podcast, we do appreciate you hopping on. And uh, if you're a longtime listener, we do appreciate you sticking with us and, and listening to uh, the content. So if you did enjoy the content, again, please make sure to subscribe so that you never miss another episode of the Fletcher and Fowler podcast. And uh, if you're feeling even more generous, please uh, consider giving us a, a rating, and hopefully it's a five-star rating uh, regarding the Fletcher and Fowler podcast on all of the major podcasting platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple. So without uh, kind of rambling on like I normally do and then edit this down to, to maybe about two minutes of me saying the same thing, I'll go ahead and wrap it up. But again, appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back uh, after the game, um, whether it's on Saturday night, it's going to be a late night as usual as those 7 o'clock games are. Um, so if not Saturday night, maybe Sunday, maybe Monday, uh, Monday at the latest for the for post-game podcast regarding uh, USF and Temple. So until then, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening, everybody.